Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Michigan Law in Chicago. I have a great show for you today. A great episode coming up here. Hope you uh, have a few minutes to hang out, uh, smoke them if you've got them, and uh, let's make an afternoon of it or whatever time you're listening to this. For me, it happens to be Friday afternoon of just a couple of days ago um, and getting ready to roll into a nice weekend here in the uh, windy city with a little bit of snow, but not too bad. Um, and we're starting to work our way out of the subarctic temperatures, which is always nice. Uh, today, we are going to turn the clock back in time, 46 years to January 22nd, 1978. The Grateful Dead find themselves playing at MacArthur Court on the campus of the University of Oregon in Eugene, Oregon, or as good buddy Mikey would call it, Blue Gene, um, and uh, also a good friend of the show, Andy Greenberg, uh, went to law school there after her days as a Michigan Wolverine, so uh, she can speak uh, very well of the, uh, and does speak very well of it uh, also. Uh, I have yet to make my way out to Eugene, Oregon, or really anywhere in the state of Oregon, which I hope to change sometime in the near future, uh, if uh, the circumstances all work out the right way. But in the meantime, let's uh, go back in time, uh, way back machine for 46 years, find a comfortable seat, spark up, and let's listen to how the dead opened the show on that night. Minglewood Blues, uh, Deadheads know it very well, Bobby Weir tune uh, that he played uh, uh, often, uh, came up in the Dead repertoire. It was played somewhere in the 400, uh, 440 times by the Grateful Dead. Uh, first played on March 3rd, 1966 at the AIAA, that's three A's, AIAA Hall in Los Angeles. And uh, it was last played in 1995 at Auburn Hills, uh, Michigan, the, um, the outdoor theater that they have there 
Um, and I'm sorry, I had the date pulled up just a second ago and I'm not putting my finger. Oh, here we go. It's right there. Yes, the Palace of Auburn Hills, excuse me, in Michigan, just outside of Detroit on June 27th, 1995. Um, the song itself uh, was not actually written by Bob Weir, although uh, he took the tune and it always says like traditional arranged by, and I'm sure there's a more specific meaning for that in the musical world, but I couldn't tell you what it is. Um, but uh, the song itself was written by Noah Lewis and was recorded on January 3rd, 1928 in Memphis, Tennessee by the Cannon Jug Stompers, and the members of the band were Gus Cannon, who played the banjo and the jug, Ashley Thompson on guitar and vocal, and Noah Lewis, uh, who wrote the song on the harmonica. Um, the only resemblance, apparently, between uh, Noah's Minglewood Blues and the Dead's uh, is the title. Uh, basically, the songs have really no lyrics in common, and I've gone through and read the, the lyrics by Noah Lewis, and you can all go and uh, check them out and read them yourself. Um, but it's true, but it doesn't matter, right? There was a song, it was out there. Uh, somebody in the Dead knew it, heard it, uh, had some connection to it, and that's really kind of the cool part, isn't it? That, you know, these guys were playing in the 1920s, and, you know, there was recordings of this stuff, but they weren't always that great, and there was probably all sorts of people who played in that time that we'll never know about because they didn't really have any means to record or preserve their music. But guys like this, you know, were able to do it just enough that a guy like Garcia or Weir or Hunter or Barlow or Lesh or, you know, one of the drummers or whoever it might be, say, hey, you know, I, I remember hearing this tune. It's got a great beat. It's got a... And then they reach up and they pull that up. And, you know, that's not any different from Goose today reaching back, say, 30 years, right? You know, basically. And, and you know, and pulling songs, uh, you know, from the dead and, you know, bringing them into the, into the light for the next generation. And, uh, you know, these are songs that were written by primarily black musicians uh, that have, you know, taken on mainstream appeal and, and, and brought the songs out you know, on an even wider scope. And, uh, uh, you know, I love seeing that the dead, uh, you know, enjoyed all kinds of music, but especially uh, really honored older traditional songs that were written at a time when rock and roll wasn't a term that could describe them, but, you know, maybe upon listening to them might be interpreted as, you know, whatever the rock and roll of that time was in terms of the way they were played and what they were trying to do and trying to achieve. And, uh, uh, I've always loved Minglewood Blues. It was always part of a uh, working trio for Bobby with Little Red Rooster and C.C. Ryder, at least uh, during the years in the uh, 80s and 90s when I was seeing the boys. And um, that was always a lot of fun. They'd kind of rotate those three on a fairly regular basis, and they would typically come up on nights when um, uh, Bobby opened and then Jerry would play a tune, and then when he got around to Bobby for the third song, you know, then he would he would go ahead and do it on a night when Jerry opened. Uh, it all depends uh, what they did. When I saw them um, at the Rosemont Horizon back, oh, about about eighty eight or eighty nine, and the Rosemont Horizon was always a great place to see the dead. But they 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 came out and they opened with uh, Scarlet Fire, which was so unusual the first time I had ever seen it, and it was amazing. And we were all just having a great time rocking to that. It it like puts you in a mood right away where it totally disassociates you with where they normally would be in the show and your, your thought is, oh my God, where can they go from here? Are, are we going to get a second set for the first set? Are they going to, are they breaking off into new territory with what they do? And then 
Just as the song would end, you'd hear the familiar twang of either Little Red Rooster or the opening note of C.C. Ryder or Bobby jumping off into Born in the Desert, Raised in a Lion's Den. And, you know, there'd be about a minute there where it was almost kind of like a letdown, right? Not because you didn't like the song, but because we were all on such a high. Think of an amazing scarlet fire to take you right out of the box before you even have a chance to, you know, sit in your seat. And, and, you know, all of a sudden they project you to a spot where in the second set, when they leave you after fire on the mountain, they're normally taken off into something else, right? Maybe a estimated profit into eyes of the world or into a terrapin. But you know you're off, you know, for... Uh, a nice little trans, uh, nice little jam that's going to take you, um, you know, to all sorts of interesting places, especially if you're set up well for the night. Um, and you know, whereas the first set was always more of a, they're just playing songs, they're getting everybody in the mood, they're getting everybody ready. And not to say that those songs weren't great and a lot of fun, but in terms of the overall feeling, at least for me, and um, you know what was going on everywhere, it, it was kind of like a the introduction for the night, and you know the boys would really get you going, and inevitably. The last song or two of the first set, whether it was the music never stopped or deal or, um, you know, tunes like that, that, you know, would seem to come up a lot to end the set. All great songs for that purpose, by the way. Um, you know, they'd, they'd really leave you uh, on a tremendously high note, um, you know, not just mentally from what you might have been doing, but, you know, musically and you know, where, where they've lifted up your soul to at that point. And, you know, clever because it would always, you know, give you energy to kind of bounce around through the uh, set break, which unfortunately usually ran about 45 minutes to an hour, and certainly more towards the hour as they got older. Um, and then they'd come out with a second set, and you know, they wouldn't always open with Scarlet Fire or China Writer or Help Slip Franklin's. You know, they, they'd come out and open with all sorts of things. And um, But it didn't matter because, you know, eventually uh, they slip into some fun stuff. But Minglewood, you know, in that at that particular point, I think, um, and any of those tunes, as I think I've probably mentioned before, within two minutes of sitting there listening to the song, you know, you pick up on what Garcia's doing, you pick up on what Weir's doing, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, the musical side of it is, uh, is really, really great, and I really like being able to listen to that, and um, this is just a really good example of it, and uh, it, it's, it's fun to hear, so, um, you know. Here's to Minglewood Blues, even though it was it was on two different albums, the original album, and then I think it's on um, uh, Shakedown Street, I want to say, called an all-new, brand-new something Minglewood Blues. But the highlight of the song was when Bobby would always say, T for Texas, T for Timbuktu, and it's T right here in whatever town he was in where the little girls know what to do. Sometimes he'd remember the town he was in. Sometimes he would say the name of a state. Sometimes he would just say here on planet Earth or whatever. Um, but that was always kind of part of the fun of Minglewood. You know, would Bobby remember what town he was in and, and all of that? So, you know, it had good stuff and we really liked it. Now, uh, here, this show really takes off hard after the Minglewood Blues and they, uh, they really get into some great, uh, some great tunes, some great jamming. A strong Dire Wolf follows, then a Cassidy, um, a Peggy O, which... Uh, was really starting to get a lot of playing time in the late 1970s there. El Paso, Tennessee Jed, all great tunes. And, and I really recommend this show. It's, uh, it is on archive. It's got um, uh, some really good sound quality. But all night, they're just, they're really on fire in this show. They're really just jamming. I'm trying to hit on some of the higher, higher jamming tunes, as, as indicated by the comments afterwards. 
Um, but this next song is a familiar one that we all know, and uh, this is kind of an interesting place for the song to pop up, uh, but nevertheless, it's played tremendously well, and as you'll hear by the crowd, very well received. can hear that music at the end and, and this is you know still relatively right dab smack in the middle of the song they, they just came out on fire on this jack straw and you, you can never get enough jack straws they, they're just they're always a always a crowd pleaser always great and always good for a little chuckle because as you notice right as we jumped in uh jerry kind of botched his lyric he he repeated the i just jumped the watchman lyric instead of got to go to tulsa and then got it in line for uh, got it together for the next line first train we can ride but his voice sounds great um the crowd really loves it and why not it's it's just such a uh, uh, a wonderful tune always really fun to hear and um when they're on uh like that boy and you know jerry's really jamming it down and bobby's you know keeping up with him and phil's back there dropping his bombs all over the place and uh it's just it's it's heaven sometimes you know to be dab smack in the middle of a show with all of this going on uh you know your mind is on it has a mind of its own and um it, it just would make for a wonderful evening and those are the kind of nights and, and moments that you really miss and yes you can capture them sometimes with a j rad or a fill and friends or uh dead and co um but there was just something about this group of guys and and i think that rob uh rob hunt said it best a while back um, when he said, on any night, you know, I would be just as happy going to see the Garcia band. But if you were going to look to see a band that was going to be playing on a night when they were peaking and they were absolutely ham handing it out on the, the finest level they could, it had to be the Grateful Dead. It had to be all of the members of the Grateful Dead because they they only got to those moments when each one of them was was pouring in, you know, that kind of perfect positive energy. and. That's what it sounds like there. You know, it's hard to just cut off in the middle of a jam, uh, but we, we try to limit the clips for a few minutes because otherwise I could just pop a tape in and uh, go in the back, smoke a couple of joints, and come back and say thanks for listening, and it would be all good. Um, you know, and that would work out well for me. Uh, you know, not sure how much Dan would like that, but you know, um, we would do what we have to do. But uh, you know, it's, it's fun to talk about it too because it's 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 such good stuff that. 
sometimes people ask me how much prep work do I have to do and the truth of the matter is it depends you know sometimes if a show's coming up that I, I really there's something about it that I really find unique or special or that I like I'll take the time to really make sure I've got that hammered down but other times if I'm maybe rushing or you know whatever I just you know what find a show pick out six songs sit down I get gives me an excuse to listen to music for a while you can always find a place to go and then we can always talk about it um, and any one of these shows and any one of these performances is like that which is what really kind of makes it so cool, I think, and, um, you know, really a lot of fun. So uh, we will get back to our show live from the University of Oregon 46 years ago today in a moment, but I want to swerve over into the music scene for a little bit. And uh, this is just kind of a potpourri, if you will. You don't get to use that word very often, so you know, when I have a chance, I like to drop it in there, um, of what I just think is some interesting uh, things going on right now. Um, one of them is Kelly Clarkson. Now, you're going to sit there and say, why the hell are you talking about Kelly Clarkson on this show? And I'm talking about her for two reasons. Because one, I have a very clear and distinct memory of watching her be Justin on the very first time there ever was You've Got Talent or We've Got Talent or whatever the hell that show was called. The very first one. And she and, and Justin, whatever his name was, with the, with the little afro. Uh, and we were at my cousin's house out in Long Beach. And we all had to, the kids had to sit up to watch that, which meant that uh, my cousin's husband, David, and I, cool guy, always fun to be around, um, you know, couldn't turn on whatever sporting event we wanted to watch because we had to see who was going to win, Kelly or Justin. And of course, Kelly did. Justin was very gracious about it, but then started some stupid movie with her and they made a lot more money. And she's still out there and she's got her daytime talk show. And I don't have anything against Kelly Clarkson. You know, I think she's got a very good voice. I think that. Uh, um, you know, she's humorous, and when I listen to her, uh, which I have to admit is not all that often, you know, she, she can be very entertaining. Um, but I was hanging out with my son and uh, the other night before he went back to school for the start of the next semester, and he had some music on, and I'm sitting there, and I takes me a minute because I wasn't really paying attention, and I recognize the music, and I recognize the song, but I don't recognize the singer, primarily because I can't imagine who this woman is that's singing and covering the song Creep by Radiohead. And, you know, I know Creep is kind of one of their more early, you know, when they were just kind of breaking out on the scene before they got to Kid A and, you know, all that kind of stuff where they really got, uh, uh, you know, down and crazy. Um, but those are the kind of songs that I love, and, and they do such, you know, Thomas York has a great voice, and it's such a great tune. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really almost a classic. And you could have knocked me over with a feather that Kelly Clarkson was singing Creep by Radiohead. And I just couldn't, my son looked at me like, what's the big deal? And I thought, I, you know, you were too young. You were there when we watched Kelly and Justin have their showdown and their battle. But uh, you weren't old enough to remember it. And I, and I do. And to see her out there, you know, singing Creep, I, it, more power to her. I thought it was wonderful. I thought she did a great job singing it. Um, you know, she created that whole little mystique with the tune that, that, that York gets to when he's singing it. I don't know, where the, I don't know if, they were, if they were plugging in the Radiohead music or, if, you know, her, she had a band there that was playing it. But it was just killer. It was really, really great. And, and um, you know, looking back on it, I probably should have thrown 30 seconds of it on today's show. And maybe we'll do it next week just because it was, it was just transformative almost. You know, it, it's never too, you're never too old to, uh, to, you know, to remember that anybody can do anything. And, you know, I just remember on one of those other shows with Simon Cowell or whatever, when this, you know, very 
ordinary, almost, you know, homely kind of Welsh woman came on and all of a sudden she opened her mouth and had like this voice of an angel, Susan, whatever her name was. And she went on to become, you know, this big star. They were all blown away because they had all totally judged her by her appearance, which, you know, certainly didn't suggest that she was going to be, be such a capable singer for no reason other than, you know, human prejudice in terms of the way we, we judge people, you know, in that regard. Um, but, uh, you know, that was me with Kelly Clarkson that, yeah, you know, she can sing your good old, you know, traditional country tune or little slice of Americana or whatever. But, you know, Radiohead's creep is not, you know, really directly within like anywhere close to the mainstream of American music. Um, you know, it's not that far outside of it, I guess. But um, I, I just thought it was great. It, 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 it's, uh, it's just wonderful. And, and thank God for the internet because, you know, you can just, you can mash up names and songs and whatever, or just, you know, strange covers. And sometimes you'll, you'll find one that just kind of blows you away. So hats off to Kelly Clarkson for doing that. Um, I love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and listen to that one again, maybe as often as I listen to, uh, to Radiohead do it, um, which I'll confess probably isn't all that often, but still pretty often enough for me. Um, number two, today being the day that I'm taping this, which is the Friday before a few days ago, um, if you're listening to this on Monday the 22nd, which I hope you are, tickets for Fish Fest in August uh, in Delaware have gone on sale. And um, I got to tell you, folks, this is, as, 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 as parents, this is exactly what we work for. My son had been talking about this for a while. Uh, my son in Atlanta, Matthew, who uh, has a lovely daughter, Ruby, and even lovelier wife, Elena, who's the mother of Ruby. Um, and uh, once they announced Fish Fest, he had never seen a Fish Fest before. Because the last time there was a Fish Fest, he had just kind of broken into the scene. And then he and his buddies tried to go to the one at Watkins Glen a few years later, Curveball, I think it was called, that got canceled literally as they were pulling into the campgrounds because it had rained so hard that the water systems had overflowed so that the sewage systems and the drinking water systems had, whatever, they weren't letting people in. They canceled the whole thing because they didn't have fresh water and, and all of this other stuff. So as soon as they announced the festival, I suspected that uh, he and his buddies might be in. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he asked me, do I want to go? And I said, yeah, sure, that would be great. Of course, my wife always reminds me that I'm not that group, even if I like to think I am. Um, and um, I get that. You know, I, I, I completely respect that. Um, and I don't know that I would have ever asked my father. In fact, I know I wouldn't have ever asked my father to go to an event like that um, because I know he would have had no interest and he would have not been comfortable with the way that everyone else was behaving. But my son and I have a different relationship. Uh, not necessarily a better relationship, but a different relationship. And, um, you know, I, I know his buddies and we all get along. And so he called me today and said, yeah, the, the, the tickets went on sale. They were talking originally about trying to get RV permits and renting RVs. Uh, but at the last minute, they had a change of heart and switched over to uh, getting passes for glamping. Um, and we did confirm, apparently, that they are temperature-controlled tents because I don't really expect it to get too cold in Delaware that time of year, but it just hap if it happens to be a heat wave, uh, always nice to have a place to go in and cool down a little bit. Um, but, yeah, he, he got a, a glamping. They got two tents, one for four people and one for two, and he invited me to share the, the two for with him. So I get to go out to uh, uh, the Fish Fest. I've never seen one uh, with my oldest and his group of buddies and We'll talk more about this as we go along, but uh, uh, you know there'll be Jacob and David and um, Seth and 
and, and more, and, and also Kevin. We've talked about Kevin a lot on this show, but Kevin always, Kevin always goes a step up. So he's going to the glamping where they actually have their own uh, plumbing facilities within their tent as opposed to having to go to a communal facility. But it's okay with me as long as I got a nice bed to sleep in. I'm a happy guy. And, uh, but, but honored to be invited and, and really looking forward to it. Um, talking to our fish cousins out on the West Coast and, you know, I, they're, they're impressed too. It's like, hey, you know, for an old deadhead who's, you know, trying to kind of make his way in the fish community these days, this is a pretty big commitment. And I, I, I took my best shot at uh, the Sphere in Las Vegas in April and it doesn't look like that's going to happen, unfortunately, but at least I've got Delaware in August to look forward to and getting to spend some quality time with my son, with his buddies and uh, hearing some wonderful music with a, a, a great community. So, very much um, uh, looking forward to that. Um, and I guess that's kind of it for the music scene. There is, you know, we're, we're heading into the musical summer here and there's lots of great stuff going on, great shows going down, not just fish. And, um, and even before that, in, in, the, in the, the upcoming months, in February and March, um, I believe Widespread is playing here and uh, uh, I'm sure there's some other bands I just have to... Uh, uh, reach out to my buddy uh, JT and he's usually pretty good about knowing what shows are coming around and uh, or Kevin and, and get the scoop on that but you can never get a good, enough good live music and um, while summer will be fun we'll see what else there is to do uh, here in the interim uh, but let's go back if we can now to uh, 46 years ago today up in Blue Jean and uh, the next song I'm playing because it's one of my favorites. First song I ever saw the Grateful Dead play. So those of you who are listening with any frequency should know exactly what song that is. Uh, my kids probably do because I talk about it every time it comes on. Um, and it's a song that almost always, at least in my experience, though not always in my experience, um, would open a show. And when it did, other than maybe that occasional Scarlet Fire Shocker, there was nothing better in terms of a traditional Grateful Dead show opener than Bertha. And the only time it might be even more fun is when instead they play it as a second set opener like they do here. So this is a night when Jerry's smoking. He's coming out with tons of blazing in the second set. And let's listen to a little bit of Bertha for a minute.
I just love Bertha. What a great song. It's always happy. It's always uplifting. It always gets you in a great mood. Uh, it's just a great opener. Um, and it can be a lot of fun. I, I saw it buried deep in the middle of a second set once at Madison Square Garden in 1983 on, at the show that eventually would result in the St. Stephen. Um, and they, they played it before the space. In fact, I think they played it going into the space. But it was, it was great to hear it there, too. You, they could play it anywhere they wanted any time. And I know it was always one of Jerry's favorites. And maybe there were times when he wasn't quite sure what to play. So he just said, what the hell, I'm going to play Bertha. And as always, he messes up the lyrics a little bit. But we smile and laugh and sing along. And um, everybody has a good time because we're all kind of in on it a little bit anyway. And uh, it just, um, uh, it's just nice. It's a lot of fun. So glad we have a chance to listen to Bertha. Again, one of those tunes that was never released on an album, um, but instead was released on the, uh, the first live, well, the second live album ever, not Live Dead, but the, the album that was just called Grateful Dead, Skull and Roses. Um, you know, it, it's got all the, all the different names like that. And, you know, it, but it's, it's, it's just uh, a great song. Uh, as I say, you know, definitely a crowd pleaser. Played uh, just over 400 times by the boys, first in 1971, February 18th, at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York. We've talked about those run of shows, and as we get to the towards the middle to the end of next month, we'll probably back, dip back in to one of those shows that we haven't talked about yet, because uh, it was just such a special time for the dead and uh, in terms of their creativity and really kind of hitting their peak uh, in their new, more Americana-themed style of play. Uh, and, and those Capitol Theater, that, that run at the Capitol Theater is, is a big part of it. And then it was last played, uh, again, at the Palace of Auburn Hills on June 27th, 1995. So a good day to be at a show in terms of getting to catch a lot of famous tunes on their last go-around. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's Bertha. And uh, just always a pleasure and such a treat to hear it. Uh, could just instantly put a smile on your face no matter where you were at with the show, what kind of a mood you were in, or, or, or really anything like that, and um, just so nice. Now, th this next bit here uh, gets really interesting for a minute, because this is a little bit of Jerry noodling around uh, during space, and you have to remember what year we're at here. It's January 22nd, 1978. And for you folks who are big on, you know, pop history in this country and, you know, happy days kind of stuff like that and, you know, remembering when those kind of things happen, uh, check out Jerry noodling around on this space for a minute. And I use the space term space there uh, in every sense of the word. And uh, raise your hand as soon as you hear something that sounds familiar. Thank you. 
Oh, little tease for our next tune, but we have to hold on that for a minute. Um, you always got to love it when you get a little bit of space from uh, uh, the boys that's focused on something. And here, of course, Jerry was laser focused, if you will, on a major motion picture that had come out just a couple of months before. Uh, and that movie, in case some of you are not quite old enough to uh, uh, remember, uh, was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, a movie that was released in 1977. So I was in high school, and although I'm having a bit of a brain cramp here, I seem to recall that the first time I saw it, maybe many my friends and I, was I want to say that we had a high school English class, and they, they had a screening day for high school students or something, Maybe I'm high. Maybe I was high then. Although I probably wasn't. But I don't know. At any rate, um, it was a movie that uh, you know you would eventually go on to see a bunch of times because it had a great uh, plot line. You know, really, really good um, special effects. You know, this was all kind of following in the Star Wars uh, uh, theme that had just come out really in the same year, just a little bit before it. And all of a sudden, he was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and one was Lucas, and the other was Spielberg, and you know, each was kind of you know staking out their ground in the science fiction, uh, modern sci-fi genre uh, of the film industry, and you know, both trying to you know come up with better and better special effects. And I just remember this movie, in, you know, thinking how cool it was, you know, the way they showed the the various flying saucers and other little uh, flying vehicles that just looked like little bulbs of light zipping and zapping all over the place and there was a couple of different cuts of the film and one of the cuts at the end the film basically ends with with the hero played by Richard Dreyfus, and I'm sorry if I'm ruining it for people but it's been 30 years or 50 years or however long god damn it go see the movie already um, with with him uh, the, the, the big mothership coming and landing behind the uh, flat top mountain in Wyoming and all of these people who had been you know quote-unquote abducted over the years by aliens are all released and Richard Dreyfus uh, the government has a whole bunch of Americans all prepped and ready to go who are going to be the people to go off back into outer space to try and create relationships with these people and do tests on them and get tests done on them and they say nope we don't want any of them we just want Richard Dreyfus because he believes he, he's he, he, he buys into the whole thing and you know not unlike maybe an acid trip I guess in some respects right because then he gets on the ship and you see him walking up the little ramp the ramp closes the ship takes off and that's the end of all of it but there was one cut where he walks in and they, they kind of give you a quick view on the screen of what he's beginning to look at. And on the one hand, it's, it's amazingly cool. On the other hand, I remember it being a little bit frustrating because, wow, this is so amazingly cool. I'd really like to see the rest of the inside of this uh, um, uh, machine here. And uh, we're not going to get to do it. Uh, you know, but that's okay. That's you know, where good imagination comes in. And you know, if you've been lucky enough to be able to hang out with your buddies for a few minutes before going in and, you know, turned up the creativity level a few notches, then it could be really fascinating and um, uh, just a fun movie and, and, and a movie that uh, I gladly watched with my kids and I'll gladly watch with my granddaughter when she's at an age where she's kind of ready to watch it. Uh, much more satisfying, I find, than like E.T., which fell a little bit more on the cheesy, on the, the, the cheesy side of the line and you know, it's still cute and it's still clever. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, younger kids still like to go through it all. But, uh, you know, Close Encounters, man, that was a real story that you could really sink your teeth into. And, you know, not so gross or violent that kids couldn't watch it with you. And, uh, you know, good for Jerry for being culturally aware enough at that particular moment uh, to know that that was something that he wanted to do. And, um, you know, if, again, if you're there and you get to hear fun stuff like that, 
it just really makes it a fun night for everybody and uh jerry doesn't let down so um we're gonna we're gonna step away from uh from our show for a minute and we're going to turn over for a second here uh onto the marijuana side because it's 420 somewhere god damn it so why not here and uh dan what do you got for us this week on our marijuana themed music Yes, folks, the Deadhead Cannabis Club has gone. Deadhead Cannabis Show could be a club, actually. Maybe we have to think about that. Little hats with ears on them and have a little theme song. Um, uh, The Deadhead Cannabis Show has gone down the road of one Miley Cyrus uh, back from 2015 and her do it song, because there's a lot of O's after the D, so I'm guessing that's how it's supposed to be pronounced, really emphasize the ooh after the D. Um, and yeah, even Miley, right? And she, she went on to say that I think weed is the best drug on earth. She told Rolling Stone way back in 2013 when she was what, like eight years old or something. I, I mean, now I've lost perspective of, you know, when she was Hannah Montana, when that period was, and when she, like when was Wrecking Ball, you know, when she got on the big Wrecking Ball naked flying all around. And I mean, right, she had to be a certain age to be able to do that. And I don't know that she's that old now, but at any rate, this was back in 2013, she was talking about it. And here's her next line. which is even better than that well you know Hollywood is a coke town but weed is so much better and I'm like however old she is can she really be old enough to be you know talking about coke and hopefully not doing it but you know god love her I'm not here to I'm not here to be uh, paternal or to uh, object to Miley Cyrus I'm just saying that as a reflection on my age uh, you know trying to look back on that time and and get a grip of exactly where things were uh, you know uh, doing all of that so um she says that she has quit smoking marijuana in part because it was causing her to eat too much, a common complaint, and spend too much time at home playing with her pets. Um, so we got this song back in uh, 2015, uh, kind of a stoner anthem, if you will. Uh, she recorded it with the help of the Flaming Lips, who she, I remember she was playing with uh, at the time for the uh, album Miley Cyrus and Her Dead Pets. Do It remains a smoke-filled rallying cry for the 21st century flower children everywhere. Sing about love. Love is what you need. Loving what you sing and love and smoke weed. Do it indeed. And oh, loving smoking weed. Do it indeed. Yes. So thank you, Miley. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, everyone. And um, with that, we are going to turn to some good news, kind of, for the uh, Illinois market. And of course, being here in in um, Chicago and uh, on the North Shore, and a lot of my clients are being very heavily involved in the Illinois market. I do like to follow up on it from time to time and see where we're at. And right now, uh, the news is all good. Uh, legal cannabis sales in Illinois, thank you to our friends over at Marijuana Moment for uh, their great work in gathering news stories for us to talk about on the air. Appreciate that. Uh, that legal cannabis sales in Illinois set a new annual record in 20, 2020, 2023, bringing in more than $1.6 billion 
$1,000, a 15% increase over 2022 sales. This is the third consecutive year of climbing revenue in the industry since Illinois made recreational consumption of cannabis legal to adults 21 and over on January 1st, 2020. According to the Illinois Department of Revenue, the state collected $417.6 million in sales tax from marijuana dispensaries in 2023. According to uh, the governor's office, 42,124,741 items containing THC were sold in 2023 in Illinois. On the other hand, a report from Headset in August of 2023 found that the marijuana sold in Illinois, the third largest market for uh, legal cannabis in the United States, also ranks as the most expensive Prices in Illinois are among the highest in the country, Headset reports. The average item price in Illinois is currently 89% higher than the rest of the U.S. market. Consumers over the age of 41 typically account for 36.4% of sales. However, in Illinois, they capture 42.1% of total sales. Um, so, you know, this is something that we've talked about, and uh, both on the show and, you know, I've talked about with friends and clients as well, which is... You know, the, the thing is, you have to know who your markets are. You have to know what you're really looking to do. And you have to know uh, what you're doing, right? If you're selling to people um, who are over the age of 41, uh, who account for a very large bite of uh, the, the, uh, the sales, 42% instead of the national average, of 36%, what that's speaking to is like a market like wine, right? Or, or really nice whiskeys or, or, or tequilas these days that, that people over the, you know, you could say, I guess, more or less over the age of 40 have gotten themselves to a point in life where they have, uh, at least some people, have disposable income sufficient to allow them, you know, to not just buy whiskey, but to go buy Blanton's whiskey or, uh, you know, whatever the, whatever the top... Uh, scotches are the top tequilas and I'll always defer to good buddy Mike and my buddy H on those things just like they'll always defer to me on on flour and then everybody's happy um, but older people uh-huh, are uh, willing to spend a little more money and go and buy an ounce of something really good instead of oh it's Saturday night I'm going to go grab three uh, pre-rolls of whatever I can find and, uh, you know, hopefully on the, the, the cheaper end, because that's okay, which is like, you know, when we were all in college and, you know, whatever we drink, Boone's Farm or whatever garbage they sold that they would sell you even if you didn't have a license. And I thought, wow, we're really living the big life here. Um, so, uh, but this is great to see. Uh, you know, I, my clients are very happy uh, and well, they should be. And what's amazing about this, what's absolutely amazing about this is that, it's still just almost, not entirely exclusively, but still, I would say 90% of the uh, dispensary market in Illinois is still controlled primarily by the MSOs or the holdovers, the, the transitioners over from the medical program. Um, because Illinois, as we've talked about in the past and I've bitched about a lot, has been so slow in rolling out all of these new licenses that uh, of the new... 70 or 75 or whatever it is dispensaries that are going to come online for the adult use market uh, 
there's still not a very large number of them that have. And, and once they're all up and once they're all running and the craft growers, um, who I believe have now received notice that they have uh, the ability to expand all the way out to 14,000 square feet, uh, which is almost triple the space they had when they applied for their license for a craft grow, uh, but still significantly less than the uh, MSO medical people who are growing on hundreds of thousands of square feet. Um, but that's okay, you know, we're going to bring new people into the market and they're going to, hopefully, the craft growers are going to come up with some new strains and, you know, maybe some premium strains that people uh, who are a little bit older are willing to pay a few extra dollars to get their hands on. And, uh, you know, we'll see what that can do to the market here in Illinois and where things can go. And, uh, you know, the truth is, this is my state. I, I sample from the markets every now and then, probably not as much as other people, but that's, I think, both a, a factor of... Uh, certainly on the flower side, not really what I think is the best flower that's available out there. And, um, you know, otherwise it's, it's all very expensive. And, you know, but, but there's still uh, uh, some flavors that I come across that I enjoy. Uh, Animal Face is one that I think is really good. Um, I, I've always enjoyed that. Blue Dream, of course, whenever you can find it, if it's grown properly, uh, all during Michigan's uh, amazing, absolutely fantastic, wonderful, we haven't talked about it enough, football run on their march to the national championship. And I just have to take, take a time out here because last week I kind of made a statement that sounded like it was fact that uh, Harbaugh was staying and JJ was staying um, and uh, Donovan Edwards was staying. Well, Donovan Edwards has confirmed he's staying, uh, but Harbaugh is still totally up in the air and uh, JJ has said he's going pro. And I gave credit for this to my buddy Kenny, part of the whole Michigan Legends group and uh, told him I did. And then, of course, the very next day, J.J. says, I'm going pro. So I, I want to I be the one to go out there, and I'm going to take Kenny off the hook for this because I'm con I have content control. Uh, and he fed me some information that was as current as he knew it to be, and uh, I had to uh, try and go and verify it on the back end and got lazy and just decided I'm, it's good enough, I'm going to go with it. So um, uh, no shame to Kenny. Uh, that's what I get for drifting off into sports, which is also another love of mine, but that's not what we're really here to talk about. Now, just for the record, if this had been, say, Ben Dog or Seth, I would have totally thrown them under the bus. I just want to be very clear about that. But with Kenny, uh, I throw myself on the sword and make sure that uh, uh, it doesn't go too far with him. You know, he's a, We like Kenny. He's a good guy. Love them all. The Michigan legends, they let me be one with them. And God bless. We're all wearing uh, uh, the pride as bright as we can be and uh, always ready to look forward to another one. Um, but Blue Dream was great during the uh, the run. Um, Pink Guava is one that I was turned on to by a good friend that I had never uh, had an opportunity to really try before. And it's a, a wonderful hybrid that uh, um, is very relaxing, especially during those very tense moments of the football game when they keep cutting to commercial every 30 seconds. And I'm pacing a hole in my carpeting from walking around the room almost from the moment the game stops. If you ever want to get steps easy on like whatever step counter you use just go turn it on when your team is about to start a very very like big important game and now not everybody is like me and most people are normal and sit down and watch but I I can't sit down I walk I just pace back and forth and by the end I find I've walked a mile and a half two miles you know sometimes even more um and uh yeah it's a great little a great little life hack for for sports fans out there who find themselves at the TV more than they do at the gym. Uh, just something to think about. Um, 
but something else that I've, I've kind of come home to again that I haven't been really in touch with for a while is shatter. And, you know, shatter is just great. Shatter is the stuff that all goes back to. You just snap off a piece, and, you know, whether you want to uh, dab with it or whether you want to uh, spice up a salad with it, uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to do, it's very easy. You don't need uh, a dab tool. You don't need to get ready to, you know, have it all stick to your fingers. Now, if you have shatter and, you know, you're outside on a warm day, uh, then yeah, you may have a little bit of a problem with it, but you know when it's negative 10 degrees outside, I can assure you, uh, we have no problem with it getting uh, too sticky or runny, and uh, it's just very convenient. You know, you can just quickly snap a piece off, uh, pop it on top of a oney, and everybody's off to the races uh, with that extra little boost um, without all the hassle and trouble uh, that you get when you would otherwise uh, try to be dabbing. So. Uh, taste it again for the first time and come home to shatter because uh, it's great stuff and uh, I give it an enthusiastic thumbs up. I also want to give a shout out uh, to our friends who uh, who run the uh, the big uh, head shop warehouse compound out near O'Hare Field. It's uh, it's a warehouse sales place and you can only get in if you have a um, a uh, retail license in Illinois and uh, a good acquaintance of mine was kind enough to take my son and I out there last week uh, for a little tour of the facilities and imagine walking into a, uh, a Walmart or a Sam's uh, and all of those like you know constructed shelves where they have paper towels and toilet paper and everything you could ever need just piled high except instead it's all glassware bongs and pipes and uh, everything uh, dab rigs and and all the tools and all the supplies and it, it you know it, it, it's just it was incredible it was it was just overwhelmingly incredible um and you go to a place like that because you know when you're buying from, from a wholesaler when you're a retailer uh, you need to be able to buy at the wholesale price and you know we saw pieces of of glass there that you know i've seen in a in a regular head shop and here they were 50, 60, maybe even 70% less because when you can have a chance to buy at that price, but you can't just walk in and buy one is usually the thing. So uh, that can be a bit discouraging. But on the other hand, even without buying anything or you know, only buying one or two pieces just to see it and to walk around um, was absolutely incredible, just incredible. And if you ever have a chance to walk into a real glass store and not just you know a, a quick little smoke shop that gets set up in a strip mall uh, you know, with one or two counters and you know just some crap thrown behind it, but really nice pieces. Um, I highly recommend it. It's, it's just, uh, it's great to see, you know, and, you know, I hope we're, we're, we're going to find, reach the day soon when, you know, like when couples for their wedding registry will list glassware that they want, but not like the kind of glassware my wife and I signed for it, crate and barrel, right? Well, we like these cups and those coffee mugs um, and this china. And if anybody still to this day can explain to me exactly what china is other than just another type of glass plate, but for some reason, it's the good stuff that you only bring out with the fancy guests on the fancy occasions. And otherwise you don't, which means my wife and I in 35 years of marriage have probably used it three times. Um, and it takes up a lot of space in the basement. You have to be careful with it because now, of course, most of these patterns can't be replicated. And I don't even know. Um, but forget that. You know, let couples on their registry start getting registries at, at head shop stores. You know, well, we're going to need a bong. We're going to need a dabber. We're going to need a couple of bangers to go with that rig. And, uh, you know, we're going to need all this stuff. And people can start getting really nice pieces. And they can become conversation pieces when they come over. Just like, you know, my mom used to have Lolly Crystal on her 
on her you know fancy table in her fancy room that you know none of the kids were ever allowed into so they wouldn't break anything um you know and now there's like my kids can and have broke everything in my house but on the other hand i don't have to worry about keeping a room you know clean and, and kids crying because they want to go in there and you may not let them um but i digress uh you know that's for conversations with my therapist not for my podcast audience um there are other things going on in the world of cannabis and let's check in with some of those really fast because um it is always kind of cool to see what we've got happening and again from our friends uh at marijuana moment thank you and you know i, I this is happening so often now i don't even feel the need you know to start crowing about it and getting up and jumping up and down and saying told you told you told you but what i will tell you is this in a nice story in marijuana moment marijuana use among teens in washington state's most populous county declined after legal of ca- legalization of cannabis for adults according to a new federal study published on thursday by the center for disease control and prevention the cdc the prevalence of current and frequent use fell significantly among youths in grades 8, 10, and 12 between 2008 and 2021. And of course, remembering that they went legal uh, at the beginning of 2014. So for a period of seven years, now it was already a trend, but they went legal in 2014. And the trend continues through 2021, which may be the latest data that they have. According to the study published in the CDC's latest Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, current and frequent use of marijuana among teens in King County has fallen significantly since state voters legalized adult-use cannabis by initiative in November 2012. Uh, Researchers said legalization and related regulations and age controls could have fueled the trend by making marijuana harder for teens to access, although they also said the COVID pandemic may have contributed to more recent declines. Between 2008 and 2021, current use defined as having used marijuana at least once in the past month fell from highs of 20.4% among males in 2010 and 15.5% among females in 2012, down to 7.7 and 9% respectively in 2021. The legalization of non-medical cannabis for adults aged uh, under 21 years of age in Washington with licensed dispensaries requiring proof of age might have affected availability. This in turn might have had impact on the prevalence uh, of doing it. But they point out again that in 2012, Washington was among one of the first states to legalize non-medical cannabis uh, for adults uh, who were 21 years of age or older, prompting concern, excuse me, 21, yes, 21 years of age or older, prompting concerns about how this measure might affect use by younger persons. Uh, and and whether this would lead to an increase uh, in uh, the use of marijuana by youths or youths, if you're going to remember my cousin Vinny and and, uh, Herman Munster sitting on the bench. Um, But basically, uh, as every other place where these studies have ever been done, and now this isn't some pro-marijuana group doing the study, right? This is the CDC, um, who everybody seems to like and listen to, and trust in these kind of things and um, you know they're finding it too and again it's, I know it sounds counterintuitive to people and some of the explanations they come up with might be a little lame and, and not really fit the bill in terms of telling us uh, exactly what's going on behind the scenes um, it's a trend 
and we just have to get used to it. People shouldn't be fighting it. People should be happy to see. Maybe it's because, you know, parents are setting good examples. If, if, you know, you have marijuana and you're smoking it and your kids are beginning to come of age and, you know, they don't see you running around doing bong hits and, you know, uh, one after another after another and, you know, going to the refrigerator and, and, you know, and raiding it and, you know, doing whatever people like to do when they're high. You, You get high, you go downstairs and you sit there and you watch your movie and if you're like more older people, you know, you probably fall asleep a lot faster, um, right? But but setting examples, you know, the way like that parents do with wine in France. And uh, as a result, uh, alcoholism is not as great as France, especially among younger people, because their parents have, have, have been such good examples for them in terms of responsible drinking. And, uh, you know, if you sit down and you have a glass of wine with dinner, that can be a great thing to do. It doesn't mean you have to polish off the entire bottle of wine if it's just you. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's important to, to do that. And uh, so, you know, for the same reason, um, none of this is really all that surprising. And, and hopefully uh, the folks out there that are, you know, big critics of this will really take this to heart because, you know, I, I can't even count now how many times we've talked about different polls on this show that all come out with the same conclusion that it does not lead to an increase in smoking marijuana by underage people and in fact might lead to a decrease. So thank you to the CDC for just giving us one more uh, arrow in our quiver on that argument and something else you can pull out anytime any of the prohibitionists and the raw stothates of the world uh, want to come in and try to make your life miserable. But here's something else, and this is great. This is really, really interesting, and it also falls into the well-dove course category. And again, thank you to the folks over at Marijuana Moment. But they write that President Joe Biden stands to make significant political gains if marijuana is rescheduled under his administrative directive, according to a new survey that reveals major support for the reform. It also found that marijuana enjoys greater favorability with voters compared to Biden and former President Donald Trump. So if I, what I think they're saying there is people like marijuana more than they like Biden or Trump, which is probably true. Uh, the poll conducted by Lake Research Partners and commissioned by the Coalition for Cannabis Scheduling Reform, CCSR, showed that 58% of likely voters favor loosening federal marijuana laws by moving it from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 of the Controlled Substances Act. Just 19% oppose it. But perhaps even more critically for Biden heading into the election later this year, the survey found that voters' impressions of the president jumped a net 11 points after hearing about the implications of the rescheduling review that the president initiated. And that includes an 11-point favorability swing among young voters, 18 to 25, who will be critical to Biden's re-election bid. What it seems to indicate is that voters who are exposed to the rescheduling debate and the president's role in the process view him more favorably. Of course, Biden doesn't control the direct final outcome. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uh, recommended the rescheduling action upon completion of scientific review last year, uh, but the DEA reserves final authority in the matter. Of course, ultimately, the DEA answers to uh, the president. This is on the executive side of the, the, the executive corner, if you will, of the uh, different branch, three different branches of government. And so this is something that can be uh, accomplished if Biden wants to do it. And I say, for God's sakes, Joe, I know you're not a big fan of marijuana and I respect that, but this is ought to be a no brainer for you. 
because all these studies that are like coming out, like the one we just talked about, are favorable and positive and don't have to make you feel like you're uh, setting things up for people to have fallen into these ter terrible habits and behavioral patterns where their lives will spiral out of control and 40 years old, they'll still be sitting in their mother's basements playing video games and you know all this other crazy stuff they wanted, they've wanted us to believe you know, for all of these years. Grab this opportunity, be the guy that said yes, Take these extra points, take these extra votes that voters are willing to give you. And voters, of course, you should. So if you sit there and say, well, I can't decide between Trump and Biden, which already, I mean, whatever, we're not going to get into that. But if you, if you can't, hopefully that this is enough uh, to put you over the top to say, yep, Biden's doing it and God bless him. And why shouldn't he do it? This is, this is a favorable thing. It works out well for him. It works out well for us. And hopefully this is, a, this is a information uh, that he will, uh, you know, latch onto and be willing to do something with. So we'll see what he says. We'll see what he does. We'll see what all of the different agencies do. We'll see what the uh, three Republican uh, legislators who we talked about last week uh, who said, well, you can't do it without our approval. You have to get the approval of uh, Congress if you want to do this because this is such an important thing that we don't think anybody other than us is really, you know, capable of uh, doing this and one of the people was the ones who said well I don't like marijuana because I think it's, it smells bad so we push all of them off to the side we we, we defer back to the uh, to the CDC here and we say yes CDC we agree with you uh, you know keep trucking on and let's make this happen already and we'll you know if we have to start with schedule three we'll start with schedule three we'll make our way to it being descheduled just as long as we do something already uh, the problem with the pharmacists will have to work out as we go along and uh and see what happens. So, um, you know, here's hoping that we can uh, that we can get there and we can make this happen. Um, but uh, President Biden, this is a tremendous opportunity for you, and I certainly hope that you will uh, dive in with with both feet and and really take advantage of it. And um, it'll be smart if you do. So, always stuff going on in the marijuana world. Uh, you know, again, I'm recommending Blue Dream. I'm recommending Animal Face. I'm recommending Pink Guava. Pink Guava. And I am wholeheartedly recommending Shatter. Just go make a great weekend of it, uh, kids. Lots going on coming up and uh, a lot of fun for you. Going back to our show, though, because you heard the tease as they were coming out of that Close Encounters. And I won't sit here and make you wait any longer. This is the next tune in the show.
Yeah, well, if you don't know St. Stephen when you hear it, then you are definitely listening to the wrong podcast. But I started that clip in the middle of the jam, uh, the, of, the, of the mid-song jam, because the whole, this whole version of it is great, and uh, playing it with just so much energy at that time. And they, were gonna, they would keep on playing it for about just about another year uh, into the beginning of 1979 uh, when it would get put on the shelf until the three times in 1983 when they played it in New York and Hartford and San Francisco. And then St. Stephen was put to bed forever for reasons that uh, only Jerry can probably answer. Maybe Bobby can take a stab at it someday if anybody's ever willing to ask him and he's willing to, to try and answer. But uh, the, the jam in there is just so wonderful. Jerry's just on fire, man. He's just bringing it hard. And then he just spins on a dime, brings it back into the familiar uh, notes of the song, brings it down and, and sends everybody out you know, with a good bang. Um, and uh, you know, what a great song it is and so wonderful to hear it, uh, you know, even in this context. So, right, I mean, the way the second set spills out is just incredible. You got a birth of good lovin', ship of fools into Samson and Delilah, Terrapin Station, the, the drum solo, then uh, a 16, almost a 17 minute other one that's just fantastic into uh, the, the space, which was just kind of starting to come online, maybe as space, not quite, but they were working on it, and Jerry just uses it to do his whole Close Encounters thing, into St. Stephen, uh, then two songs that we're going to miss here, and Do Not Fade Away, and into Around and Around, uh, all played just uh, with tremendous energy and uh, great sounding uh, vocals and everything, uh, before we kind of stumble our way into the final tune, which we will get to here in one second. Um, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. Uh, first of all, go online, pull down this show, listen to it because it's a great show and you should absolutely listen to it. Number two, uh, this podcast is officially taking the position that we support the Buffalo Bills and we cheer them on to big things. Uh, now, of course, as you're all sitting here listening to this on Monday, uh, we're all hoping Dan and I, since he's a big Buffalo Bills fan and he supported my whole Michigan thing, so I can certainly support his Buffalo Bills thing. Um, uh, they will have played last night. And of course, this being Friday, we don't know what they've done. So hopefully they've won. And uh, you know, by the time we're recording the next uh, episode of this show, we'll, have known, we'll know they've won and uh, we can give them their, their proper too. But Josh Allen is a great guy. Not to say that I don't like the Kansas City Chiefs. I do I have some big friends who are Kansas City Chiefs fans, but they've had their moment in the sun. And for anybody who knows anything about NFL history, the uh, Bills have been out there squ uh, wandering in the desert uh, you know, for a long, long time, you know, and on more than one occasion, you know, being within uh, skipping distance of the water and just missing out wide right. So um, we're going to wait and see. Uh, this time we're going to bring them positive vibes and, uh, and, and hope that they really make it happen. So um, we got that going for us. Uh, birthday shout outs this coming week to good friends Dini and Robin. And yes, that's Robin with two B's, not just one. So uh, when you're wishing her a happy birthday, make sure you don't forget that. And with all due respect to anyone else I've named today, far and away, the most important shout-out that I can possibly give is to my absolutely lovely and beautiful niece, Lily, up in Port Washington, New York. And, of course, notwithstanding uh, or no disrespect to anyone who I've already mentioned on this show, um, but the biggest shout-out I have uh, for this coming week is for my absolutely beautiful lovely and very talented niece, Lily, in Port Washington, New York, who on Saturday will be having her bat mitzvah, and we are all going out to see her, 
and could not be more excited to get to witness this wonderful thing. Uh, I have no doubt she will do a marvelous, marvelous job. And um, sure, you know, that's the real life, folks. You know, all this other stuff we're talking about is the stuff that makes life fun. But these kind of things are the real life. And uh, this is what we all live for, is to have these kind of moments. Uh, unfortunately, my dad can't be there, but through the wonders and magic of modern technology, we'll be able to see the live stream from it, live stream of it from his home in St. Louis. Um, and so we'll give him a shout out at that time as well, too. Uh, but for everybody else, thank you again for listening. Please tune in next week for another new episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Otherwise, have a good week, a safe week, a fun week, and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Thanks, everyone. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.